welcome to the Bold Platform. This is Adrian, your host, and I'm very excited this week to welcome a beautiful friend of mine, Emma. So <laughs> Emma and I um, crossed paths at a local charity here in Newcastle that we were both um, supporting in our various different um capacities that we are working outside of the podcast. And when I first met Emma, although it was in a work environment, I definitely felt like, oh, I've met a person that's one of my people and definitely felt an instant kind of, oh, we're going to be friends for a long time, I think. So um, I'm lucky to have gone on to work with Emma in different environments in her own space, but also to go for walks and share a wine and have a chat over the the last summer, which has been awesome um, to get to know Emma a little bit more. So before Emma introduces herself, I just want to remind people that in our conversations, uh, you know, we do talk about um, adults that affect, uh, issues that affect lots of adults. We talk about mental health issues and just general life stuff. Um, so there may be a little swear word. There may be some discussions around mental health. So if there's little people around, or maybe if today's not the time for you to, to be listening to those sorts of conversations, feel free to save the podcast for another day. Um, and we will get on with our interview with Emma. Now, Emma, Welcome to the Bold Platform. Thank you. If you wouldn't mind introducing yourself as if we'd never met and how you would introduce yourself if you were meeting someone at a barbecue or running into someone someone that you'd never met before in a social setting, how would you introduce who you are and what keeps you busy every day? Sure. Okay. So I would probably introduce myself and say um, that my name's Em and that I'm a mother of three mm-hmm. and that um, I what, what I like to do, I love the beach and I love um, fitness and keeping active. Um, I love spending time outside. I love reading and I'm pretty passionate about music. So there's all of my little hobbies Mm -hmm. that make up, I think, a lot of who I am. And um, if it was talking specifically about what I do, I would say that I um, have the privilege of being able to run um, programs in schools for kids from the age of 8 to 18. Mm -hmm. And what my um, whole passion and um, drive behind my business is about teaching kids proactively how they can protect their mental health. So essentially my goal is to prevent the onset of mental illness and particularly um, reduce the rates of youth suicide and all those kinds of um, big issues that are affecting our, our kids but also our adult population today I decided that it would be better if we can um, work more proactively rather than reactively mm-hmm. and so that's what I do with awesome. my time awesome <laughs> so you said that you decided yes. that that's what you were going to do what got you to that point of making that decision that yeah, that's sure. how you were going to spend your Monday to Friday yeah definitely um at the time that I made that decision that I felt um, I guess I could be better utilised working with younger people. At, um, I was running uh, a gym with my husband and I was working a lot with women at the time and um, I was essentially um, interested in building more of a community around me 
so that I could have um, women in in the space in the gym itself who were going through similar um, things in their life that I was, essentially raising children, mm-hmm. um, being a busy mum, trying to keep up with the day-to-day, um, which, you know, is challenging at the best of times for a lot of women. Sure. And um, I also struggled with um, – you know, trying to balance it all and trying to keep my mental health together around the birth of my second son. Mm-hmm. And it was then that I realised um, there would probably be more women out there in the community that could do with that sort of, I guess, mental wellness support. Um, and I designed a program for women that saw them be able to exercise in a safe space that was healthy for them, not just physically but also healthy for them mentally. Mm-hmm. And from that it became very successful and I um, – was you know um a spokesperson for postnatal depression and postnatal anxiety and I did a lot of work in that arena and I guess as I got to know women in their 30s and 40s I realized that a lot as I got to know myself um as well I realized that a lot of our thinking about ourselves is fairly ingrained when we get to that age right and with an interest to want to actually um do the work on my own self-talk and want to protect my own mental well-being I decided or discovered or essentially set off with a theory that if we could um, teach children or teach people at a younger age as to how to actually correct their thinking about themselves and how they see themselves in the world and be able to effectively, you know, guide them to make healthier decisions around who they are and what they want out of life, um, it would potentially prevent, you know, the onset of more serious mental health problems down the track. Right. And what I was referring to at the time when I began the business was um, largely I started working specifically with girls mm-hmm. um, and we were tackling is- issues such as body image and, mm. you know, the whole diet, um, weight loss industry, um, you know, the, the se- serious amounts of pressure that um, women are putting upon, placing upon themselves in today's world more so than ever before because of the technological age and how that's affecting, you know, young girls now in the, in the way that they essentially judge themselves and mm. each other and their bodies. So, to begin with, the program had a really large focus around girls and body image and social media and safe and healthy relationships. Um, and with the success of the piloted program, it has turned into what it is now, which is really exciting because we're doing work with boys and we're working in, um, you know, raising awareness for men's health and men's mental health issues as much as we're talking about um, what how it's affecting the female population. We're also looking at the LGBTIQ community as well. Mm-hmm and looking at transgender so it's really become quite a diverse um program that essentially is catering for people because that's the bottom line you know we're all human and we're all essentially in my belief tackling very very similar issues at a heart level Mm, regardless of what we present on the outside that's right Right. yeah so when you decided that these in-school programs were going to be how you wanted to deliver that message where do you even begin yes um in terms of approaching schools, writing the program, what qualifications did you need to have or did you already have that made you eligible or qualified to present those programs? Yeah, so that's a really good question because, um, and I had this conversation recently with somebody at a party when they asked me how it was that I ended up in schools and Mm. it was actually um, one of those real serendipitous things that have occurred in my life where I did nothing but have the thought that potentially I could be utilised 
doing the doing the work that I was doing inside the four walls of my gym, so promoting well, mental well-being, looking at how nutrition can affect mood and mental health, using exercise as a really great antidepressant, mm. um, having conversations like tough conversations with people about all of the stuff that you know we don't necessarily like to talk about. So with all that going on within four walls and, um, you know, at that stage I had run um, a fair bit of fundraising work and attracted some local media, I, um, I did nothing other than think about a way that I could effectively make more of a change. And on the day that I actually was sitting in my gym thinking, you know, I would really love it if I had the opportunity to work with younger women and work with girls or boys, um, I got a phone call from a local school that night. So it wow. was just one of those really weird kind of things that happened in which um, I had essentially been approached because of what they had seen in the media about the sorts of messages that I was um, putting out there. And they Through asked, the gym. yeah, right. and they asked if I would come in and have a, have a talk to a group of um, year 10 students wow. about why it was that I was so passionate about mental wellness in the first place. From that opportunity, I just I just knew that there was an absolute need to hit wellbeing a hell of a lot harder in the education space. Mm. And I went and wrote a program which I was then able to trial throughout many different school communities. And from there, it's just gotten a roll on mm. and um, – it, the best thing about it is that it, 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 it um, it's it's working, <laughs> and it's yeah. working purely from um, that audience's perspective, and that's essentially what I think is really important. Yeah, right. So the program is called. Yeah, so the program is called the New Brave. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was rebranded. Um, midway through last year, mm-hmm. and I wanted to come up with. Um, some sort of word that is effectively um, gender neutral and Mm. that is really trying to, um, I guess, encapsulate exactly what the message is. And I feel like the word brave and I feel like saying the new brave is really about um, identifying what it really does mean to be brave in today's world. And I believe that um, in today's world to be brave is really about being willing to be vulnerable, being willing to um, show your emotions, be willing to um, change and be willing to grow and be willing to be wrong when you're wrong and or um, be willing to be right. So effectively, you know, it's hard um, whilst we're all trying to sort of fit into uh, what somewhat generic model of what success and what happiness looks like. I mm. feel like it takes in an almighty amount of bravery to be able to walk your own way. And, um, yeah, I, I really do think, especially when it comes to mental health, although that we're making a lot of noise in the space around trying to destigmatize it and that, you know, it, it is okay to not be okay and all of those wonderful messages, I still think that it does, at the end of the day, require an almighty amount of bravery to put your hand up and say, you know what, I'm not coping mm. um, and to not beat yourself up about that. So, yeah, we, um, I decided it would be the new brave. That would be the headline for the programs themselves. And then there's several different, obviously, um, different programs for different audiences that are tackling different issues underneath that oh, banner. Right. Awesome. What have you, you – you mentioned at the introduction you've got three children of your own. Yes. So, obviously, as a, as a parent, you had some understanding of 
what it is to be a child in mm. the you know the two thousands and the uh, and and ongoing. What have you learned about kids since you've been in these schools that you you know you hadn't or you didn't already know with your kids? What what do you see coming out? What are the key messages, both you know, good, bad, and otherwise, that you see with our kids? Yeah, sure. I um, I really have come to the conclusion that um, kids today are actually under an enormous amount of pressure. Mm-hmm. Although we might think that um, they've got it a lot easier um, with technology and with this instant world where everything is at our fingertips. In fact, um, they're trying to navigate some really big challenges that you know, um, myself, my parents, grandparents, and the like didn't actually have to ever come up with um they there is and part of their pressure is um their need to perform to a higher level because a definition of success is everywhere um you know it's um at their fingertips to see what money looks like what fame Mm. looks like what career success looks like and everybody is trying to be better and everybody is trying to be louder and everybody is in in some level you know constantly um making more and more and more noise around potentially what it means to be successful I think that young people have a really warped sense of what's important because in today's world it is so much about image Mm -hmm. that you know um, the capacity to have those good old-fashioned values really don't doesn't exist anymore um I think that Kids are more tired than ever before because of the amount of time that they spend on their devices. And um, I think that essentially in so many ways they've become more disconnected than, than what from what really matters most. But I also think that that often comes from just society in general and where we're all at around, um, you know, um, what's what's most important and how that's best reflected in this technological age. I just feel like on the whole... Um, it's more difficult for young people to be able to remember the humanity bit um, because there isn't as much focus on that in in um, yeah I guess on the whole in general yeah and we can like we can all be guilty of that right yeah, yeah. most definitely but I also know that the, the way that I look at most problems is to obviously look at solutions as well. And I often say to the kids, because we do look at issues that are potentially difficult and we talk about things like emotions and we talk about things like mental health and we talk about things like self-love and empathy and vulnerability and all of the topics that aren't necessarily easy by any stretch for somebody to um, put their hand up and want to engage in. But the one thing that I know when I have looked at problems and looked at solutions that there's this really beautiful simplicity a lot of the time to what the solutions really are and when it came to writing my programs there's this really beautiful saying and I can't recall where it comes from but it's something like be the person now that you needed when you were younger Mm. And I took myself back to a time when I was younger and I realised that having somebody come into my school and have the conversations that I'm willing to have with young people was exactly what I needed at that time. Mm -hmm. And if I can recall what it was like for me as a teenager, having all kinds of different, you know, adolescent struggles and, you know, um, more at the time, I knew that 
I knew exactly what I needed and exactly who I needed to be now for that little version of me. Yeah. And that is essentially really where my work comes from. Is being that person that being you that needed person that I needed back yeah. then. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about back then, if yeah. that's okay. Sure. So I know a little bit about um I guess your background through my involvement in the release of your amazing book, which we will talk about in a minute. But in terms of, um, you know, people kind of, and we're all guilty of this, you know, looking at other people and going, well, you know, what makes you qualified to talk on this topic or that topic? Talk us through a little bit about, you know, how you did become qualified to speak on such topics through both education and life experience. Yeah, most certainly. So, um, yeah, I feel like, and I say this whenever I'm speaking as well, that absolutely everything that I talk about, I talk about it from a place of having experienced it myself. Um, And the reason why I choose to, I think, um, take that angle is because relatability and um, being able to see yourself in other people I think is effectively at the heart of connection and mm. if we're going to resolve these issues we have to feel like we're in them together and I often feel like if we come at issues from a place of um, knowing more through nothing other than knowledge um there's a big difference between knowledge and wisdom Mm. and i know that um in my experience wisdom really does come from walking um sometimes a very challenging path Mm -hmm. and it does come from that personal experience Mm. so in saying all of that i think that that is most certainly what's motivated me to do the work that i do um as a young person I did experience pretty severe bullying at school and I think that, I mean, and I wrote about this in my book for as long as I can remember, I only remember myself to be a really, really deeply sensitive um, little person and I actually had this memory the other day where I actually, um, you know, recall not even being able to handle somebody singing happy birthday to me without bursting into tears because it was way too much attention. Oh, gosh. Or, um, you know, sometimes I recall going into restaurants as a small child and if there was somebody there who was, say, physically disabled, I wouldn't actually, because of the amount of empathy that I had for that person, I would feel like I wouldn't be able to eat because I just felt, you know, so incredibly sad and so incredibly like, um, yeah, like in great, like sort of almost completely sucked in Mm. um, when I witnessed other people's suffering and other people's struggles. And I know now that when I reflect upon myself, I'm very much not like that as much now. Like I do understand, I've been able to understand that acceptance and like a willingness to help and actually kind of channeling all of that sensitivity into doing good and actually helping is where it's at. Like not necessarily, people don't need sympathy. Mm. What people need more than ever is empathy and action. Action. Yeah, empathy-based action. So that's essentially where I think I've been able to channel all those really deep um deep um, sensitivities from but having been bullied as a kid I did develop um, fairly severe anxiety as a result 
But back then it wouldn't have been diagnosed as such because we didn't really talk mental health in the way that we do today, which, you know, obviously is a wonderful thing that we do that now. And that's not a, a long time ago. Like you're in your mid-30s. Yeah, I'm in my mid-30s, mid-30s now. Right? Yeah. yeah, so we're going back 20 years when we, um, I don't think that the word anxiety was really even mentioned. Mm. And it was definitely something that um, I struggled with both physically and mentally. I know I really had a lot of social anxiety and a lot of social fear. Um, And I had, I definitely had um, uh, an inability to concentrate and inability to focus and um, a lot of deep-seated self-questioning. And I think that that takes me on to my next realization around that time in my life and what what bullying does do and can do to people like um, all kinds of different traumas is leave you questioning yourself mm. and how you see yourself in the world and how you then see others in the world as well. And I know um, as a result of that, I really did have a, a very shaky sense of self and I definitely was looking for all kinds of different ways to stabilise myself and um, my self-worth was low and I definitely lacked a lot of confidence coming from being quite a confident yet, you know, shy little girl at the same time. I definitely lost a lot of my confidence. Um, And, uh, yeah, again, like having had those experiences as a young person that led me into making different decisions, um, you know, life decisions at the time that I guess I don't necessarily regret, but I certainly would have, um, you know, made different choices had I been in a different mind space, in a Mm. different head space. Mm. And yes, at the time when I was in my early 20s, I had a mental breakdown, um, which I wrote about obviously in my recent memoir. And um, that mental breakdown was almost like the the catalyst that set me on an entirely different path. Um, And it gave me an opportunity coming out of it when I didn't actually think that I would ever recover to consider how it was I ended up where I was and to consider how it would be that I could make it different for me moving forward. Mm -hmm. And it really meant that I had to do a stack of soul searching and I had to really do the work on unraveling essentially like hitting rock bottom, you know, being willing to piece myself back together. And it meant that I got to really take a look at take a really good look at myself and and discover where it was that I effectively did go wrong and where it was that things had happened to me um, that I had, you know, essentially had to be willing to let go of and grow from. Mm. So again, you know, um, the things that I do present in my programs and my work with kids most definitely does come from, um, I guess, now being that person that I certainly did need back then. Mm. I can imagine you know, kids in classes sort of, you know, giving the whole, oh, what would you know? And you just turning yeah. around and going, well, what? as a matter of fact, and just laying it out all on the table. And I bet with kids it probably, and I don't know if this is the right way to say it, but gives you almost like this level of cred, like this credibility oh. instead of, you know, just the, the next the person that comes in to present on are you okay or, or what, you know, whatever the, the initiative might be. It's like, no, no, this is someone who was absolutely – walked the walk been there done that yeah has the battle scars to prove it 100 percent. and I think that's so important again that relatability Mm. that relationship that the kids can have with me that capacity to connect um I do remember exactly what it was like and I absolutely love that what I've been able to 
experience in my own life and what I now demonstrate with the kids is that you've always given an opportunity to choose differently. Mm. Like today might be the day that you decide to do things differently. Today might be the day that you decide to think about something differently. Um, And it really is about that. It's about them understanding that they're going to make mistakes. It's part of being human, but don't carry them with you. You You can rewrite You can completely rewrite that story at any given moment. And here are some of the tools and strategies that I use to rewrite mine. Yeah. So speaking about that, what made you decide to put it all into a book? Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, Great question. So it was the most insane experience um, and I guess that um, I was obviously writing about insanity but in the one thing that I remember when I got well, when I came out of my psychotic breakdown, I realized that people did not understand what that kind of mental illness is like. And when you say people, do you mean like family and friends? Do you mean people in medical services? I mean just the general population um, on the whole. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that there is a huge amount of stigma around mental illness full stop, but I think that the stigma and the misunderstanding around illnesses such as schizophrenia um, bipolar disorder and and those kinds of um, disorders which is characterized by psychosis are even more misunderstood and mm-hmm. even carry an even bigger stigma and I remember like when I first I was so excited when I first um, got better because I had this complete motivation to want to help people who were um, severely mentally ill mm. in, in, and I didn't even know at the time how I was going to be able to do that. But once I, as time went on, say, I mean, I'm talking within the first, say, three years after my recovery, again, I found myself silent because that whole stigma thing had silenced me. Mm. I did think to myself, there's no way I can talk about my experience because I don't want people not trusting me. I don't want people thinking that I might be potentially crazy, right. you know. And so here I was actually judging myself with mm. this same stigma mm. that we, you know, so many of us as a population judge others by. Yes, When I realized that that's what I was doing, I decided that I had absolutely no other choice but to share my own experience. And it is a very, very detailed account of what it's like to be psychotic. Mm. Um, And it was, I guess, in so many ways, like very a, a very cathartic experience for mm-hmm. me as well. I was able to um, put into words things that I never thought I could put into words. But when I like going back to when I uh, those first few weeks after I'd sort of regained some level of sanity, I remember being completely motivated and so passionate about helping. I realized years later that the way in which I could do that would be brave enough to share a very, very true account, a very straight from the hip kind of no bullshit account of what it's like to live inside one of those minds. Mm. Um, And by no means, you know, 
Adrian, do I claim to be some sort of mental health professional? I'm certainly not a clinician. I'm just an everyday woman that really does um, want to shine a light on an issue that I think needs um, more and more light shone upon it in the effort that, you know, at least if somebody reads it, um, they might, you know, be able to in, in some way be better informed as to what it's like to suffer with an illness like mm. that. Or, you know, if I can just change one mind about, um, illness like that, then effectively that's one mind that has been able to be helped. Yeah, definitely. And I think listeners who are probably thinking, you know what, someone might benefit from what I've been through and how could I use, you know, the the experience that I've been through and maybe a book is a way of doing that. When you decide to write a book, what do you do? Do you literally Google steps involved? Like what, what do you find someone to write it for you? Do you write it yourself? Like what, what did you do? You've decided to write a book, then what? Yeah, sure. That's a great question. There's so many different ways to write a book. One mm-hmm. thing that I'll certainly say is that it's not the beginning, it's not the start of the process that I found to be the most difficult. It was the end, okay. which is really interesting. Yeah. People would potentially think that starting a book is really hard. In my right. experience, it was ending it Yeah, because essentially my story is a story that continues, which mm. um, I think, you know, somebody said to me, oh, how can you write a memoir? You're only 34, 35. And I was like, well, it's I've had a fairly full on little life up until now. Um, but obviously, of course, the story continues. I think in my case, again, it was one of those moments, those universal moments. Um, I always knew that um, I wanted to share if whether at the time I didn't think that I would share my story publicly at all. Um, I was motivated to write to begin with for my son. Mm -hmm. So um, my son was born um, amongst, you know, all of this, this this kind of chaos and um, amongst this mental suffering that I was enduring at the time and he didn't necessarily have the same, um, yeah, start to life like a lot of children have and I wanted to be able to share with him why it was. He was just so incredibly um, important to me and so special to me and I thought that the way that I would be able to do that was to um, talk to him about how it was that he came into the world um, and I knew that he was approaching becoming a teenager and it would mm-hmm. be the, probably a good age to have that conversation he was starting to show interest in what you know how did I come about and what what was your life like back then mum and I decided that it would be um the right thing to to actually write for him it wasn't until the book became until the manuscript became something oh teddy (laughs) (laughs) that's okay it's okay (laughs) teddy the the little puppy wants to be involved in the recording here he comes (laughs) sorry em to interrupt okay i'm usually interrupted by teddy so it's It's got his toy now he's happy um yeah so it wasn't until the manuscript which was drafted for gabriel specifically that um a a few people came to me and suggested that this should be shared on a bit of a bigger scale than Mm -hmm. just for Gabe. And at that stage, I was kind of questioning whether he was, you know, old enough to be able to actually 
cope with the the contents of yeah. the story. Um, and I thought, well, you know what, with me actually finally getting serious about making this dream of mine, which was these school programs into a reality and genuinely stepping up to the plate and helping people in this space, I thought um, the book would be a really perfect way for people to understand my why. Yes. And I think that that's the biggest thing. I think one thing that I've learned the most is with whatever you do, have a good enough why. And um, I certainly um, have it really, 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 really big why Mm. based on my own little life so far. And the book essentially became being able to share that why does she do what she do does Mm. now. Well, can read this and you'll certainly know why. (laughs) So someone put you in touch with a a publisher or? Yes. So we Mm self-published. I actually um, worked for a a small amount of time with an editor. Mm -hmm. Um, Besides that, we um, basically wrote and edited when I say we Mm. I um did the final edit myself I work with a self-publisher locally um who was incredible and the whole process bringing the book to life was very much a team effort in that regard um a local agency here actually did the cover design Mm. um and designed you know um the the illustrations and the designs inside and um you know, it was, it was definitely, it was definitely something that had the right team working on it because all of us were so passionate in our own ways about what the cause was. About the subject matter. About the subject matter. Yeah. And so it was one of those things, one of those projects that I genuinely thought would never end. And I remember getting (laughs) to the end and I couldn't, I couldn't do another edit. You know, I had read those words. Um, a, th- a thousand times I think and I'd never ever read the book from from cover to cover mm. from start to you finish. You just lived it from cover to cover. I lived it cover to cover and written it in sections and mm. returned and returned to some points and I'd send it back and we'd go back and forward back and forward back and forward with the design team just to get it exactly right until the point where I never forget it was you know finished and proofed and they handed me the copy and they said we just want you to read it for one final time and mm. I said no I don't want to read <laughs> no it. No bloody one. No, <laughs> just let it go let it go to print um, and so yeah yeah, I think it it definitely it's definitely a love it's a love project. It's mm. definitely my heart in um, you know, on the page and I didn't do it in any kind of, you know, um extraordinary way. Um I've been fortunate enough since self-publishing to be able to do a deal with a publisher, which is okay. amazing. Um, and so the plan for the book is for it to actually be effectively relaunched nationally. And for it to be made available in retailers and online and all of those sorts of things. Awesome. So I guess to establish myself more as an author is effect is, is exactly what this this publisher and I are working together now on. Yeah. But it's yeah, it's just been one of those things again that um I've I felt in my heart was needed and the right people have shown up at exactly the right time. Mm, that so, seems like it's a little bit of a common theme for you, right? Kind of is. Yeah, yeah. the universe has totally got you back, yeah. or, or someone does. Some, someone do, so, something on who does. You exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, so um, it's all out there now. Yeah. <laughs> so in terms of you know you've got a young family, you've got your work in the schools, um, you've got your book. 
on the days that are a little bit tough and it doesn't all kind of seem like, you know, it's where it's meant to be, what, what gets you up from under the covers in the morning? That is such a good question. And I think we were only talking about this the other day. Um, Yes, so there are days where I really, really, really don't want to get out of bed and I actually was talking to you about this the other day because what I realized is that we put so much pressure upon ourselves to know what the next step is and Mm -hmm. to know what it is that we have to do. And I have been really fortunate enough many times in my life where things have happened for me because they're supposed to happen for me, mm-hmm. such as that phone call from that school, right. such as having an amazing team working on my book, um, you know, such as these programs, you know, becoming what they are and my business becoming what it's becoming. And I realised that that upon reflection of that, it's really not about doing a lot. It's about just being willing to show up, mm-hmm. just being willing to show up for life. <laughs> and, and for some on some days it's ultra ultra tough to show up for life but we can just do it in the simplest of ways you know if it's not I really don't want to get out of bed right now well I'm just actually going to get up and open the blinds and look at the sun and start with having nothing else on my plate other than just simply getting up it's breaking it down into the simplest of steps that mm-hmm. actually makes you more available to what life's got in store. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean by any stretch that staying in bed isn't important when you feel exhausted. Sure. We all can have days like that. I just know in my experience that wanting to hide because I feel anxious or wanting to hide because I feel depressed can get you into a real vicious cycle. Yes. Um, and yeah, just breaking it down and just being able to first and foremost get up and open the blinds, you know, and put pants on, put pants on for a start. <laughs> Shower. That's exactly. Which yep. is what I was talking about the other day in that post, you know, it's about lowering the bar. I think that, and this is when I was talking a minute ago about young people and the amount of pressure, you know, that comes from what we're doing as adults as mm. well. We conduct ourselves today with so many expectations of performance Mm. of never stopping it's like we actually get some kind of trophy for being busy Mm. and I used to be that woman I was most certainly her if I had any downtime it was time that I could allocate to do something else Mm. you know I was really really uncomfortable with the space in between the doing Mm -hmm. and I realized that that's running on that adrenaline wheel that's running on that anxiety you know anxiety will do everything it can to take you out of the present moment which Mm -hmm. I've learned is actually where life happens Mm. and this has taken a lot of years it's like it's not something that's just come along but being able to become more aware of the showing up for life thing being able to to stay really present and not let my thoughts run away from me and not let these ridiculously high expectations and this people-pleasing pattern kick back in has been you know an absolute godsend in shifting my my mindset and that again takes work in itself so I think you know if I could give you like my top, my, you know, my top three things for how it is that I maintain my own mental health, Mm. um, I definitely keeping my stress levels in check. So like just either doing deep breathing exercises is a great gateway into meditation. If you're not somebody who can meditate easily, I was bloody useless at meditating. And I discovered that meditating is in fact 
not doing anything other than in my experience of it, of course, not being doing anything other than observing those thoughts and quite often using your breath and focusing just purely on your breath and making sure that you're getting a really, really nice exhale. It brings you into just focusing on one simple thing and just being able to watch the thoughts go past without necessarily being able to jump on them. Um, That was something that I sort of practiced and practiced and practiced. And I still do a lot of, a lot of breath work because it is um, very like in, again, in my personal experience, it's been really effective in, Mm. in landing me back in, back in the now. Um, back in the present moment. I also am a huge believer in exercise and sunlight. Mm-hmm. So being able to physically move your body and people think that, you know, that must mean a whole, you know, grueling gym session or an hour long <laughs> run or whatever. And it really isn't like mm. that. It's just about the fact that we're not trees and we're humans and we're designed to move. Mm. And obviously, you know, I can 150% say that physical exercise had a huge, huge positive impact on the my own brain chemistry. So I quite, I quite often can notice within my, my myself when I'm feeling flat that potentially it is because I haven't been doing enough physical activity. Okay. Um, and of course, yeah, like I just mentioned, the sun has, you know, is is now scientifically proven, you know, in small to moderate doses to have a huge impact on uh, in positively affecting your mental health. You know, mm. vitamin D obviously can protect you from those kinds of different mental and physical illnesses. So I think people need to um, definitely get themselves outside more. And then the other thing would be um, making sure that you don't spend too much time on your own. I mm. feel like um, isolation and loneliness uh, account for so, so many um, different mental and physical health problems again. And I'm, I'm aware that there's a lot of research into this space. There is a lot of research now that's showing that it's in fact our quality relationships and our capacity to connect in a healthy way with others that actually positively impacts and protects our health and longevity of our life. And I'm just somebody who definitely values my alone time, but um, 150% nobody thrives in isolation. I don't believe that to be the case. So I do, um, I, I, I am very passionate about, you know, um, again, talking about this problem and being able to form some sort of solutions because it does break my heart that I do believe in many ways there are a lot of people out there who do feel lonely and who yep. do feel isolated. And what's interesting about that is that that is one of the main sort of characteristics or main feelings of many mental illnesses. You do feel like you're the only person on the planet who's struggling. You do yes. feel really isolated within those symptoms. Yes. Yet isolation itself, you know, is hard for anybody, you know, because we're human beings, we belong together, we don't necessarily thrive on our own. Mm. So that would probably be, yeah, my, I guess I probably talked about the top four, didn't I? Mm. I said like meditation, mindfulness or breathing and sunlight and exercise and making sure you've got good people around good you has yeah. been absolutely, you know, um, not negotiable in my life mm. and on, on the days I'm not feeling great and on the days when I'm feeling great. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to ask you about self-care, but you probably, I guess, kind of covered it there in terms of what do you do to, to maintain yes. your own mental health and to look after yourself because like anyone in a role where they are giving to others, yes. um, you know, it's that old saying around making sure your, your cup's full so you can fill the cup of others. Um, it, yeah, how is it that you sort of maintain that and, and you've touched 
on most some of it there, I think. Things. Yeah. Yeah, no, most definitely. I know that self-care over the years has been the biggest learning for me. Mm-hmm. I think that it's a really hard thing for a lot of mothers to actually get their head around first mm-hmm. and foremost. I would say as a non-mother, women in general, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, most definitely women in general. We're pre-programmed to be nurturers and to mm. be carers. Yes. And we have this innate need to sort of make sure everybody else is okay and that's what's you know, one of the most beautiful thing things about women. But then there's the old oxygen mask analogy, which we yes. all theoretically understand. You can't actually – help anybody else until you've got your own mask on first. Um, and I feel like when I had the gym, that was something that was absolutely a foundation to the program. It was me time is the best medicine. And we provided a service where children were looked after so that women could have that time to themselves and make it possible. Um, now that I don't necessarily have that, service available to me or I don't necessarily have a practice that makes it more accessible it's about me prioritizing me amongst all of the day-to-day and it doesn't have to be as big a deal as you think Mm. what I realize is your level of willingness to participate in self-care in my experience, comes from how you actually feel about yourself. It Mm. comes from your self-value. So the higher that self-worth you have, the higher self-value you have, the more likely it will be that you will participate in self-care because you understand the practice and you understand the need for it. And what the impact, the positive impact or the negative impact of doing or not doing it is. It's almost like negative, a negative impact. like a, a, a resistance to self-care almost correlates with a, a negative, like a lower level of yes. self-worth, so to speak. Yeah. So the more work that I have done on my own self-worth and my own self-esteem, the more that I value self-care. But it doesn't have to be a big deal either. I think there's lots of memes around, you know, bubble baths and, yeah. you know, all these sorts of things, which is great if that's what self-care means to you. But yeah. I think it, it, the definition of self-care is a very personal definition and also what works this month might not work next month it can change um on the daily Mm. Uh, you know self-care for me can look like getting up in the morning and having a cup of tea in peace it can also look like going for a walk in the sun between clients Mm. it i mean recently after speaking at an event for you know hours and hours and hours upon end presenting I made a conscious decision to not use my voice for five hours afterwards because I knew physically that I didn't actually have it in me to continuously give of my energy in that way it's putting boundaries around yeah okay so I've just finished that job and now I'm going to go and do something that is mindless and something that I enjoy for 15 minutes Mm. um it's putting the kids to bed and watching my favorite Netflix episode you know, at the end of a, a crazy busy day or deciding, you know what, today I just really need to go to bed early. I'm going to bed when the kids go to bed. Yeah. I don't think it necessarily needs to become something that is overly complicated or mm. overly difficult. I mean, if self-care to you looks like going to a day spa, then if I can go to that day spa, sure. 100%. But Invite us if, if that's okay. If it's, we'll if come it's with a week, you. If it's a week on a tropical island, like I'm coming for sure. <laughs> go get it. But my bags. I, I almost feel like it, we can make it such a big thing that it becomes out of reach. Yeah. 
it's really important that we put it in our day like every single day. And I think that the reason why I say it's got to go in every day is because this is your life. Mm. And I've realized that more than so than ever in the last six months. This is me. This is my life. I'm living it. Mm. And tomorrow's not guaranteed. No. So, so what am today. I going to do today <laughs> yeah. for me to remind me that this is actually is it? It's not yeah. a dress rehearsal. What can I put in my day today to make me feel better? That reminds me of that. Yeah. And it's the little things, you know. Yeah. It's the really, really little things, yeah. I think, that are more important. That's it. Well, on that note, I'm going to wrap this up so we can go on our walk. I think that sounds Because great. we live in a beautiful city. The sun is still out and we have a walk planned this afternoon. We do. Because for us, that is definitely part of our own individual self-care. Um, Emma, thank you so much for being super, super generous as you always are with your story. Um, where can people find you offline yeah. and online yeah. where can people find you absolutely so um online you can find me at my website which is www.misforyou.com.au which is just my name is of course m and i'm here for you so misforyou.com.au and you can uh, read all about me there and that's probably really the best way to find me i imagine and if people are interested in reading your book or potentially talking to you about coming into a school they might work in or that their kids might you know be involved in or just that's in their street or in their community regardless of their connection what's the best way for them to the books on the website the books on the website and yep. um that you can contact me through the website as well as well um i've also got my social channels which are exactly the same it's at m is for you Perfect. and you'll be able to find me there and have access to all of the stuff that i do awesome <laughs> thank you so much as i mentioned at the start if um our conversation with m today has brought up anything for you please make sure that you reach out lifeline is an amazing support um, that is available 24 7 365 days a year all around australia so please do have that conversation it is very important and none of us are meant to be doing any of this alone and we strongly encourage you to have those conversations if you know someone in your world that might benefit from listening to em's um, interview please feel free to share this episode with them we would love that as always you can find us at theboldplatform.com.au or at the bold platform on facebook and instagram um, we've got some really exciting uh, episodes coming up in the next few weeks so stay tuned Uh, If there's anything feedback-wise you'd like to give us, you can do that through rating or reviewing the episode or jumping onto the website and sending a contact form through. Thank you again, Em. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me.